Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Yeah, it's good to have a new year, isn't it? I went away for Christmas. I went to Calgary. I came back. There's still snow everywhere. I'm like, what? Last night as I was shoveling my driveway again, I said, dear Jesus, it's so beautiful. Please make it stop. You know, I mean, it, it just keeps coming, doesn't it? But here we are, new day. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. I uh, trust that you also had a good uh, Christmas and uh, are happy to be here. Uh, today we're actually going to begin a new series. Uh, from now until almost Easter, we are going to examine this question. Who is Jesus? Because from the days that Jesus walked on the earth until today, there has been nothing but controversy about who Jesus is. And you know, there's all kinds of opinions out there about who Jesus is. Uh, there are those who say, well, he was a great moral teacher. And there are others who said, well, he's a revolutionary leader. And still others who say, well, Jesus, Jesus is really a great prophet or a brilliant rabbi. Some would say that he's a reincarnation of one of the Hindu gods. And those are just sort of the mainstream ideas. There's many more ideas. And of course, there are millions upon millions who say that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the Son of God. And so, as you can imagine, there's all kinds of things written about Jesus by scholars and by historians and by uh, everyone, all kinds of people that have an opinion about it. Uh, but, but for us, in this series, we're going to go back and look at what Jesus says about himself. Because you can actually tell a fair bit about somebody by how they talk about themselves, what they say about who they are. And so to do that, we're going to look at the statements that Jesus makes about himself that are recorded by one of the people who knew him best, the Apostle John. The Apostle John wrote both the, the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. And over the course of those two books, he records nine different times where Jesus expressly states, this is who I am. And some of the statements that Jesus makes we're going to find are surprising. Others are profound. Some are controversial, but all of them are incredibly revealing to who this man was. And so that's what we're going to do beginning today and for the next eight weeks after this. Every weekend, we're going to pick one of these statements and examine who Jesus says he is. And so we want to invite you to come and to learn and to be part of it every weekend. But we also want to encourage you to study it on your own. So we put together this booklet. It's called Who is Jesus? And each Bible study corresponds to the message that we preach each weekend. And uh, probably the best way to study this is in the, in the context of a small group with a few other people where you can open it up and, and open up the Bible and talk about it and discuss it and ask questions and, and think about what it means. And so if you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you. This is a great time to get into a small group. Uh, you can sign up online beginning tomorrow or you can sign up here next weekend and get into one of those little groups. On the other hand, if you're saying like, I'd love to do that, but you know, my schedule doesn't allow, I just can't make it happen. That's okay. We still want to encourage you. Pick one of these up and uh, study along on your own. And uh, you can pick one up next weekend in the lobby. Uh, just uh, if you have a donation, a couple of bucks to help cover the cost. Uh, if not, you can also download it as a PDF on the internet. Today, as we begin the series, we're going to look at one of the most profound and controversial statements that Jesus ever made about himself. So, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage, uh, invite you to, to turn with me to John chapter 8. The Gospel of John chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one, you know, in the chair near you there. And you can find this on page 894. And while you're looking, uh, looking that up, 
I want to ask you a question about your Christmas. In your Christmas, amongst, amidst all the turkey and the stuffing and the, and the parties and the eggnog, in the midst of all of that, did you get into an argument with somebody? Well, was there some time over the course of Christmas where you got in an argument with your brother or your aunt or your, your mother or maybe your spouse or somebody else? If you did, how did that go for you? How, how did it end up? My guess is it ended in one of three ways. One of three options. First option is, as you argued, you realized that you were wrong and, and you told them so. <laughs> Obviously, that's very unlikely. But there is a possibility that, that would have happened for you. The second option, the thing that should have happened, is that they realized that they were wrong. And they said, you know what? I'm wrong. You're right. Should have happened. Probably didn't. If it did, you should consider it a Christmas miracle, right? I mean, this doesn't happen very often. The third option, and probably the one that happened is, clearly you were right. They just couldn't see it. And they wouldn't accept it, even though it's obvious to everyone else that you were right. And so no one won the argument, right? Because they're not willing to admit that maybe you, you had it right, maybe you didn't. And that's just human nature. But listen, anytime you get into an argument, the, the, the underlying question, the real basis of what's going on is this, is this question. Who, who knows best? On whatever this topic is that we're arguing about, that we're discussing about, who knows what they're talking about? Who sees and understands whatever it is with more insight and more clarity and more knowledge than the other person, right? I mean, really the question is, who's the real authority on this topic? Well, the story we're going to look at today is that kind of an argument. It's an argument between Jesus and a number of people that he is talking with. And it starts when Jesus makes some very bold statements, very forward statements about how they should act and how they should live. And they don't like it. And they push back. And, and, and the question that they really raise is, who are you? I mean, what gives you the right to tell us how we should live our life? And it's in the midst of this conversation that Jesus makes uh, one of the, the most profound statements he ever made about who he is. In fact, it is so bold, it is so controversial, that if you hear it, you can't help but react to it in one way or another. So, let's take a look at it. But to do that, we've got to get the context. So we're going to start in verse 31 of John chapter 8. This is how it begins. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. These were people who had been listening to him and who just now said, I think we want to follow you. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So you see, right here, the argument begins. Jesus begins by making this really bold statement. He says, look, if you want to know true freedom, if you want to experience genuine freedom in your life, you should listen to and obey what I teach. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. It assumes several things. First of all, it assumes that the people he's speaking to are actually not free. That they're enslaved. They're living in some sort of bondage. And secondly, it assumes that the best way for them to get out of that is to do what Jesus tells them to do. To listen to what Jesus says. And those are some pretty big assumptions, aren't they? I mean, all of us 
in that day and in this day, we value our freedom. We don't want other people telling us how we should or shouldn't live. And so when someone does, when they say, look, if you listen to what I say, you'll be free. We, we, we bristle at that, right? We, we react against that. We say, well, why, why should I listen to you? What makes your opinion any better than mine? Plus, it's my life. I, I'm going to live it. So why would I listen to you? Why would I hear what you have to say? See, that, that freedom is pretty important to us, isn't it? And in fact, when it comes to that freedom, we, you know, the, the, the common thinking in our culture today is this. Look, no one has a right to tell me how I should live. As long as I'm not doing anything that harms someone else, I should be free to live however I want. Right? That's, that's what people think of when they think of freedom. And indeed, that is freedom. It's one of the kinds of freedom that there are. The people who think about this, the philosophers, they call this kind of freedom negative freedom. Negative because it means free from something. Free from external constraints. Free from other people telling us how we should live. And that's how most of us would define freedom. And yet here Jesus comes and he says, look, if you want true freedom in your life, you should submit to my teachings, to Jesus' teachings. Because I'm going to give you freedom if you do that. And it's a provocative statement. It's a bold statement. And it makes people mad. Today it makes people really mad. But in Jesus' day it also made people mad. And so the, the, the people that were listening to him in his day, he makes a statement. They don't even let him go on. They jump in right away. And they say, look, we've never been slaves of anyone. We're descendants of Abraham. And the message to Jesus is right away is, we don't want what you're offering. Because we don't see any need for it. But, as in so many arguments, they make certain assumptions right away without finding out what the other person means. And they slip from a logical argument into an emotional response. Because he made them mad. And when we get mad, we often respond emotionally, don't we? It's just kind of how we're designed. And so they say, look, we're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. Now, there's two problems with that. The first is it's just factually not true. I mean, look at the history of the Jewish people. They spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And in fact, at the time of Daniel, they spent 70 years in Babylon in exile. And even now, as they speak, Roman soldiers control their land. <laughs> it's simply a false statement. They, they're people who have known all kinds of slavery and subjugation. And yet their first response to Jesus is to say, that's not us. And it's the first response that many people have today as well when they hear that Jesus offers them freedom. They say, that's not me. They, they, they don't stop to think about their own history or to look at their own circumstances. See, they're not wearing chains. They don't have a slave master telling them what to do. And so people today think of themselves as being incredibly free. But if they were to stop and to really think about it, they'll realize that that's not necessarily the case. And that's because they make the second mistake that the, the people who are listening to Jesus made. You see, the second mistake that the people in this story made, and probably the worst of the two mistakes, is that they base their response on a wrong assumption of what Jesus is talking about. They think that Jesus is talking about freedom from external constraints. In, in their case, they're saying freedom from physical slavery. Freedom from something that's outside of them that's controlling how they act. Uh, what we would call negative freedom. 
And, and, and so they can't see how obeying Jesus would free them from a slavery that they don't even think that they have. And it's the same problem that people have today. When they hear Jesus' offer of freedom, they, they, they're thinking in terms of negative freedom. They, they, they are defining freedom as freedom from constraints. Freedom to live however they want. And so they can't possibly see how submitting their life to the teachings, to the direction of Jesus in their life, would possibly give them freedom. It seems like the opposite. It seems like that would lead to slavery. But the problem for both the people in Jesus' day and the people in our day is they don't give Jesus enough time to really explain what it is that he's talking about. So now Jesus goes back like you should in a good argument and defines more clearly what he means. Look at verses 34 to 36. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus says, look, the slavery that I want to set you free from is sin. And everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And here again, people would say, well, hang on a minute, Jesus. How can you say that I'm a slave to sin? I don't do a bunch of bad things. Listen, sin, by its very nature, is something that breaks relationships. Something that separates you. It separates you from other people, or it separates you from God. And you don't even need to read the Bible to know that. You just know that from experience, right? If you do something wrong to someone else, or they do something wrong to you, it brings separation in your relationship, doesn't it? They may still hang around with you, but there's a coolness there. There's a, there's a distance there because there's something wrong. There's sin between you. The same if, if you do something between you and God. You feel distant from him because of your sin. And when that, when that kind of sin happens in your life, it hurts. It hurts them. It hurts you. Nobody likes being in a distant relationship from others. We all want the opposite. And yet... Even though we know it hurts others and it causes pain and heartache in us, yet we still do it, don't we? And we know better. Why? Because we're enslaved to sin. Because it controls us. And, 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 it, and if you think that that's not an issue for you, if you say, no, 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 that's not me, then clearly you're not looking at your history or your circumstances. You're, you're like the Jews in Jesus' day. You say, we're, we're Jews. We're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. Look around. Pay attention. It just isn't the case. Jesus says this. If you want to experience true freedom in your life, you should listen to and obey my teachings, and they will set you free from the sin in your life. Now, you see, the freedom that Jesus is speaking about here is not negative freedom. It's not freedom from constraints. Rather, it's what philosophers would call positive freedom. It is freedom to get something good. It's freedom to attain something of great value. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus offers. But here's the thing. Just the way that, that, that it works. In order to gain positive freedom, you actually have to give up some of your negative freedom. You can't get this without giving up some of that. Let me give you an example. Christmas time. In my 20s and 30s, when it was Christmas time, I could eat anything. Turkey and ham and then salad and dessert and more dessert. I could eat, eat, eat. No problem. I had no one telling me how much to eat, including me. 
But now I'm getting a little older. Now I still have that negative freedom that I can eat whatever I want, whatever I want. But my body's telling me, John, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. And so now at my stage of life, I have to give up some of that negative freedom so I can attain something good called health, called long life. I want to live a long time. So I give up some of the negative freedom to gain positive freedom. Or, or another example, let's say that I wanted to sit down at this keyboard right here and I wanted to play it. I wanted the freedom to play it so beautifully that it moved your soul. If I wanted to do that, I'd have to give up all kinds of freedom to do whatever I want all day so that I would sit there and practice for eight hours a day so that when I sat down, I had the freedom to just play those keys. You see, freedom, tr- true freedom is not just the absence of restrictions in our lives. True freedom comes from finding the right restrictions. Restrictions that actually allow me to attain a greater freedom. Something that's really valuable and worth having. And that's what Jesus is offering to those who will listen to his words. Do you want the freedom to live in rich relationships with the people around you? You should listen to Jesus' words. You want the freedom of being free of the shame and the guilt for some of the stupid things you've done in the past? You should listen to Jesus' words. You want the freedom that comes from knowing that your life has meaning and purpose, that there's a God who created you and has good plans and purposes, and that your life is important? You should listen to what Jesus teaches. You see, that's what Jesus is offering here. What so many people see as limitations on how they live is actually the exact opposite. They are liberating restrictions that lead to a greater freedom. To true, genuine freedom in this life. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what Jesus is offering them. That's what he offers us. Now when he offers it, their response is to reject it. You know what they say? They say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But Jesus, we're the the children of Abraham. We're we're, we're, We're the Jewish people. We're the chosen nation. I mean, to us came the promises of God. To us came the covenants. To to us came the law. When God sent the prophets, he sent them to us. We're Jewish people. And who are you? Why should we listen to you, Jesus? What gives you the authority? What what made you the expert on how to live this life? And you can understand their point. I mean, just read the Old Testament. So, look at what Jesus says next in verse 37. Jesus answers, he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. So Jesus says to him, look, clearly you're descendants of Abraham based on your DNA, but not according to your actions. Abraham would have never treated me the way that you're treating me. In essence, he's calling them hypocrites, isn't he? He's saying, look, you say that you're one thing, but your actions are showing that you're something else. In fact, Jesus was basically saying, spiritually speaking, you're illegitimate children. And as you can imagine, that wouldn't go over real well with this crowd. Uh, Look at what they said in verse 41. In the second part, they said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. 
Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So, Jesus says, look, you're not children of Abraham because you're not acting like he would. And their response is, oh yeah? Well, we're actually children of God. And his response is to say, well, no, actually, you might say that with your mouth, but if you were genuinely children of God, you wouldn't be rejecting, of what, uh, rejecting what I say. And then he goes on to say, actually, given the way that you're thinking and acting, you're children of the devil. Now, let me give you a tip here. If you're ever in an argument with someone and it's not going well, don't tell them that they're children of the devil. Uh, they don't respond very well to that. And these people did not respond very well to that. Now, Jesus didn't say that because he was trying to be mean or get them or just say names to them. He said it because it was the truth. And they responded so powerfully because it, it spoke the truth. You see, they wanted to convince everyone around them that they were good, that their world was okay, that it wasn't messy and, and sin in their life. But even more, they wanted to convince themselves that that was the case. They wanted to convince themselves that they're okay. Their world is all together. But Jesus sees right through it. And he simply speaks the truth. And this is something that Jesus' words often do. See, he isn't afraid to speak the truth into people's lives. But it often makes people mad because it hurts. And rightfully so. There are hard things in our lives. But Jesus does it because he wants what's best for them. So he doesn't pretend. He won't pretend. He won't let them get away with fooling themselves into thinking that they're good on their own. And that, that makes them mad. So think about this. When you're in an argument and someone says something that makes you mad and you don't have a way back because you know that they're speaking the truth, how do you respond? Well, you do what you learned when you're about this high. You say, I know you are, but what am I, right? I mean, my saying as a kid was this, uh, uh, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Right? That's what they did too. It's, a, it's thousands of years old, that trick. So look at what they say. Verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? See that? Right there. You call us children of the devil? Oh yeah? You got the devil living in you. And for good measure, you're a Samaritan. Which was a racial slur of the day. So how does Jesus respond to that? Verse 49 and 50. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, look, your accusations are simply not true. But I'll leave it to God who is the judge and he knows the truth. But then he goes on and adds an even more profound statement than the one that started this all. Look at verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never See death. Now you remember this whole thing started when Jesus made this statement that says, if you abide in my words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now he's saying, and if you keep my word, you will never die. If the first statement was bold, the second one is outrageous. Now, of course, Jesus was speaking of eternal life. But again, they didn't give him a chance to fully explain himself. And they jump right back in. And this is how they respond in verses 52 and 53. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. 
Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And then, and then verse 53 gets right to the very heart of this whole thing. Look at verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? See right there? That's the key. That's the question, isn't it? Jesus, who do you think you are? What gives you the right to come and say that if we submit to your teachings, that you will give us freedom? What gives you the right to say the hard things into our life? How can you offer us eternal life? You think you're greater than the prophets? You think you're greater than Abraham, who founded our faith? You think you're greater than Buddha and Confucius? You think you're superior to Muhammad? You think your ideas of how to live this life are better and wiser than what our culture has come to know is true and right? Who do you think you are? And that, that really is the question, isn't it? That's kind of like the ultimate question in this whole thing. Who is Jesus? So how does Jesus respond to this? Well, verse 54 to 56. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. Now here again, you have to understand the context in which this argument is taking place. In Judaism, if a statement was made in a court of law, if it was to be testified to being true, they had to have two witnesses who would agree with it. Jesus says, look, anyone could show up and say, I'm great, I'm wonderful, listen to me, do what I say. But I have two people who testify that you should listen to what I say. And the first is God, the one who you said is your father. He's not your father. He's actually my father because I actually listen to him. He testifies to what I say. And the other is the other one who you said is your father, Abraham. And Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now again, a wild statement. I mean, Jesus is somewhere 30 years old, not, not close to 50. Abraham has been dead for thousands of years. And so right, again, right away, the, the, the people he's arguing with fire back. Verse 57, they say this. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out into the temple. So what just happened here? You see, they said, you couldn't possibly know Abraham. You're not even 50 years old. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And right there, the argument ended. Right there, they were so mad, they looked around, they, they found stones, and they began to throw it at him because they wanted to kill him for what he said. Now, why? Well, the answer is because Jesus made a statement so profound, so incredible, that the only option for anyone who hears it is either to totally submit to everything that Jesus said or to seek to destroy him. Now, to understand why, you have to go back to the Old Testament. You have to go back to the time of Moses. You know the story of Moses. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace. Uh, when he was about 40, he tried to, to start, uh, set the people free by killing one of the, the Egyptian slave masters. He was found out and he fled. He lived in the wilderness for another 40 years, tending his sheep, until one day, as he's uh, tending his sheep, there's a burning bush, and it just doesn't burn out. 
So he goes over to investigate. And as he does, God begins to speak to him. And God says, you know, I've seen the suffering and the misery of my people in Egypt. And Moses, I want you to go back there. And I want you to lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land. When Moses hears this, he's not impressed. He he doesn't want to do it. He says, who am I? Why would you pick me? And God says, you go and I'll be with you. And so Moses asks the same question, such an important question. He says, and God, who are you? Who should I, who should I tell them? When I show up and say, hey, guys, you follow me out of Egypt to the promised land. They say, and who sent you? Who should I tell them you are? And Exodus 3.14 records how God replied. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. You see, God says, you want to know my name? My name is I Am. That's not my title. That's my name. If you were to take the Hebrew letters of his name and transcribe them into English, they would be this word, Y-H-W-H. Now, in, in ancient Hebrew writing, they never included the vowels. They only included the consonants. And over time, because God's name was so holy, the the Jewish people didn't want to mispronounce it and therefore profane God's name. And so they inserted a different title. And in the process, they lost the pronunciation of this name. Now, we have some pretty good ideas. The King James Version uh, translates it this way, Jehovah, as God's name. Today, modern scholars believe it would be more accurately pronounced Yahweh. Either way, throughout the Old Testament, so as not to profane the name of God, every time his name came up, the writers inserted a title, Adonai, which we translate as Lord in place of his name. And that's why when you read through your English version of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament where it says Lord, you'll see it's spelled with a capital L and then smaller case capital letters, like you see on the screen. When you see that in the Old Testament, that literally means Yahweh. I am. That's God's personal name. Now, in the New Testament, lots of people use the name Lord. Lord there means sir. And so when they translate that, they use capital L with lowercase letters, Lord. So sir is different than Yahweh. But you should know that in the Old Testament, when you read the word Lord, it is referring to God's personal name, Yahweh, I am. So now let's take that and put that back in the context of this argument that Jesus is having with these people. God's name, the personal name of the holy God who created heavens and the earth and the seas and everything that's in them. The the name of the God who created you and I and who is sovereign over all of creation, who is king and Lord of all things. His name is I am. And in this argument that Jesus is having with his people, when it gets down to the very core of the argument, they want to know, why you, Jesus? Why should we listen to your words? Why should we find freedom and truth and life in what you say? Who do you think you are? And Jesus responds by saying this. The reason why you should listen to what I have to say is because I am. Right there in that statement, Jesus says exactly who he is. He is none other than God himself come in the flesh to reveal himself to us and to bring us freedom and truth and life. Why should you listen to him? Why should you give your life to follow him? Because Jesus is God. That's why. And that's an absolutely incredible statement, isn't it? I mean, who says something like that? And you can't ignore it. 
It's outrageous. Unless, unless it's true. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian philosopher and thinker from the last century, he realized this. He wrote these now famous words. A man who is merely a man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, C.S. Lewis makes a powerful point. Jesus claims to be God. And it's such a powerful statement that you have to decide how you will respond. The people in the temple on that day, they decided instantly. They decided that he had blasphemed. They picked up stones to kill him. But many others didn't. In fact, throughout the centuries, millions upon millions upon hundreds of millions of peoples have taken Jesus at his word. And it's profoundly changed their lives. Because Jesus is I am. Because there is no one else who understands this life better than he does. Because he's the creator of it. Often people want to argue with Jesus about whether they should listen to what he says or not. It's their opinion versus his opinion. Jesus, you think this is the best way to live? I think this is the best way to live. What gives you the right? But you have to understand, this is like you having an argument with your aunt over Christmas turkey. This is like, this is like you read an article in National Geographic about nuclear physics. And you learn some stuff. So you start an argument with the guy next to you. You say, you know what? This is what nuclear physics is about. And he says, no, actually it's not. You're like, yeah, actually. I just read it in National Geographic. He's like, well, no, you don't understand. Yeah. And finally someone, you know, does this, says, he is a professor of nuclear physics. He, he actually wrote the textbook and won the Nobel Prize. And they talked to him about the article that you read. Oh, oh, okay. Right? I mean, that's what people, they argue with Jesus as if they know better than him. It's not your opinion and his opinion. He is God. He created you. He created this life. He knows. So when it comes to the argument, your answer should be, oops, okay, God. What you say. That's who Jesus says he is. The question for you and I is this. Will you listen to him? Will you allow the one who knows more about life than you and I will ever possibly know to lead you? In this year, in 2017, will you Submit yourself to his teachings, to his words. Will you follow him? Because he says that if you do, you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. That truth will set you free to attain the beautiful things in life. The good things that that we all so desperately want. It will set you free from the sin that enslaves you. Because his words will give you eternal life. Will you do that? You have to decide who is Jesus. I know for many of you here, you've already decided. You you say, yes, he is God. He is the son of God. So these are his words then. He says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. So my question for you is this. Are you abiding in his word? 
Are you spending time in his word on your own to hear and to know the freedom that comes from that so that you know the truth? I want to encourage you today, January 1 is a good day to start again if you haven't. To read through the Bible. To read his words. Last year I started late. I started mid-January. I said, I'm going to read through the Bible. And I got me a little app on my phone. And you know, uh, every day if I got it done, a little smiley face. Ding. Good job, John. You did it. You know, it's really encouraging, right? If I fell behind and say, hey, you got to catch up and give me a little reminder. Right, right, right. And over the course of this year, I almost made it. I got all the New Testament. I got all the Old Testament, except for some of those little prophets at the end. And I'm going to finish it. But you know, over the course of the year, sometimes it was hard. But other times, oh yeah, these are his words. I abide in them and give me life. I want to challenge you, encourage you, not guilt, just invite. Start again today if you're not doing it. Say, okay, 2017, I'm going to read. Get that app, it's free, okay? <laughs> Others of you are here today, you say, you know, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I'm interested. I want that freedom. I, I want that life. I want to follow Jesus. If that's you, praise God that you're here. He, he's at work in your life. And after this service, I want you to go right out those doors. Take a minute. Just go to the Welcome Center and say, I want to follow Jesus. Tell me more. And they'll answer your questions and they'll help you know so that you can say, yes, on this day, I, I found the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. And still others of you are here and you're not ready. To say, yes, I'm going to follow him. But neither are you ready to pick up stones to try to destroy him. You're saying, ah, I don't know. If that's you, welcome here. This is a good place to be. I want to invite you to come back over the next eight weeks. Jesus has a lot of other amazing things. And we're going to look at those things and explore them and wrestle with them. And I want to encourage you, join a small group. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to go to a small group. Come and just say, like, I got questions. And you can ask those. Or if you want, come to one of our discovery classes, Discovering Jesus, where it's very, very every week for just uh, 45 minutes with a couple of other people, and you can look at that. But I want to invite you, find out. This is the question. Who is Jesus? And how you answer that question will make all the difference in your life. All right. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you that you revealed yourself to us in your son, Jesus. That he came and lived among us and and was fully God and fully man. And God, that he revealed to us through his words the way to to true freedom, to eternal life. To all that, that gives us fulfillment in life. And Father, I pray for each person here today. Lord, as we enter this new year, God, we thank you for the past year, for your faithfulness to us. Whether it was an easy year or a hard year, God, you never left us. And now, God, as we go into 2017, I pray again that we would know and remember how faithful you are. And God, I pray that we would abide in the words of Jesus, that we would allow them to seep into our hearts, into our minds, to direct how we live and who we are. God, so that we might know that freedom. And so I pray for each person here and for those who are seeking, those who are interested. Lord, may you can continue to draw them. May you help them to just examine for themselves and see that they might know who Jesus really is. So God, we're excited. We look forward to what you're going to do in our lives this year. And we give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day.